What's up, guys? This is Roland Buck III. I play Noah Sexton on Chicago Med, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hey everyone, welcome to Meet Us at Molly's episode 119. Y'all, I'm back. <laughs> um, Thank God. <laughs> um, yeah, I am back from my 12 days in Germany. It was amazing. Uh, we're sorry this is coming to you kind of late. It's just that life, life, life. Yeah, life. life. <laughs> um, I was in Europe. Bryna was holding down the fort, crushing it, by the way. Um, you know, a little thing called One Chicago Day. Recaps, the interviews, all the good stuff. Uh, yes. I'm still working. You're what? I'm still recovering. Yes. Yeah, I think we're both still recovering. Um, my body right now thinks it's like three in the morning. I'm, I'm wiped. You're wiped. We're just, yeah. But um, yeah, so we're going to cover episodes three tonight. So 503-803-703. Again, we're sorry this is late, but we kind of had to wait until we were fully charged or at full strength again. So as always, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Gina. I'm joined by Bryna. Hello, everybody. So you're going to hear from us twice this week, um, and so because of that, we are going to skip over the news tonight, and we're going to wait to cover that until episode 120, which actually I think you'll be able to listen to at the same time you're listening to this, right? Are we going to drop both episodes on the same day? No, this one's coming out first. Okay, well, cool. Um, so never mind, we will cover the news on Friday's episode uh, when we talk about the crossover, so... We're going to skip right over the news. Um, the only bit we've gotten there is that Bryna went to one Chicago day if you missed it and live under a rock, which you don't. So um, if you've missed all the coverage, go go to our YouTube channel, uh, go to our Instagram, our Twitter page. It's everywhere. Bryna crushed it with all the interviews. It was amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you you Thank totally you. did. You did. I was literally sitting in the arena in Germany like – with hardly any battery and hardly any Wi-Fi, like running around trying to find like the tiniest bit of internet to send out a tweet or anything. It was, it was fun. It was a ride for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. When you were sending me those videos, cause y'all like Bryna would send me, she would text me videos. And again, I only had Wi-Fi in Germany. And so, um, and it was only on a hotspot too. My friend brought a hotspot cause there was no public Wi-Fi in the stadium. And so she would send me videos and be like, okay, cut this part and put it up. And so, I would do it and then I would lose internet and then I would like try and get something out and then I'd have to move locations or something. And finally my friend Catherine, she was like, well, why don't I just make a hotspot for you on my phone and you can get that out. And I was like, Oh my God. Yes. And so I was down to like maybe 10% battery and she was like, I need to go get something from concessions. I was like, I'm following you. I need the internet. <laughs> uh, and so it was, it was a ride, but it was, that was a fun day to keep track of the internet. So I'm, I'm glad you had such a good time. And I know we FaceTimed late at night that night to kind of rehash the day. Well, early for me, late for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was like four in the afternoon for you. It was like one o'clock in the morning for me. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry I couldn't be there. It looks like you had a blast. And yeah, just go catch up on everything. Just all of the things. The interviews, the Instagram. We got an intro from Nick Gelfis. That's pretty awesome. 
um, all of the things. Just just go catch up. So anyway, anything else you want to add about One Chicago Day that I'm missing since I was not there? No, I think that's everything. I mean, it's all in my recap or my blog or whatever. Um, there's a master post on our website and everything is up on the website. So yeah, it all exists in one place. It's all, all over the place. So you can find it all wherever you find our stuff. So awesome. So, so awesome. Yeah. I'm halfway through your recap episode, by the way. I, my drive wasn't quite long enough to finish all of it, but I'm halfway through the recap episode. So I also pretty much gave you your own personal recap when I FaceTimed you that day. I know, so, but, but I, I wanted appreciate- to hear the episode too. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, literally, you guys, so I stayed in an Airbnb with like four of my friends and they got the update too, even though they like never seen a Chicago show in their life. I was like, you're all going to learn tonight, so deal with it. <laughs> so, yeah, good times, good times. All right, so let's jump into these episodes, shall we? Yes, because there's a lot to talk about. There really is a lot to talk about. So, again, this is episodes three, so 503-803-703. And we are going to start with med. So there was a lot going on in this med episode, like a lot. Um, so much. So much, I know. So let's start off with Dr. Charles and Cece because um, they had some stuff going on as well. So we start the episode. Dr. Charles comes into the kitchen and Cece is basically making a baked Alaska for Robin's birthday. I've seen enough Food Network shows to know that baked Alaska is pretty hard, but that's like the extent of my knowledge. I don't know. Um, yeah. I was so because like halfway through well like they talk first and they're like it's a lemon ring and then she like changes and for most episodes it's a baked alaska but like it definitely said lemon meringue at first i think meringue is part of a baked alaska maybe i don't know i don't know either there's way more pressing things to discuss in this episode than that but also like are we supposed to assume that robin is still in chicago like is she coming back to town for her birthday? Like, what is this? I think Are it's, they going up to visit her? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think that she's probably coming to town because she left last season. Right. But I just, it was just like, like, oh yeah, this is for Robin's birthday. And then you're like, wait a second. Right. I'm just, I, and it probably, we probably won't even ever see it. But like, I just, in my head, I was like, hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So basically, Cece falls and breaks her wrist. And it's pretty simple. It's a run-of-the-mill, like, okay, she broke her wrist. She just needs to be in a cast for a little bit. That's it. But Cece is pretty adamant. She she wants surgery because she wants to be healed faster. And so Dr. Lanik is like, mm, not a good idea just because of her pre-existing health problems with her cancer and everything. And so Dr. Charles and Sharon both agree but Cece is, you know, pretty gung-ho that she wants the surgery. And so her oncologist comes in, agrees with everybody else, and Dr. Charles just can't really figure out why she's so adamant about it. Uh, and so Cece just kind of tells him, it's not about the baked Alaska. It's that, you know, her time is precious and she doesn't want to waste four weeks not being able to use her hand. And so they kind of get into it a little bit. And it it was it was not like tough to watch, but they both had valid points. And then when Cece basically told him, and she was like, "You like you know what you signed up for." I was like, "Ooh, ooh, this is like 
I see both sides of the argument. This is tough. Yeah, I think I took Dr. Charles's side here, though, because, like, I understand where Cece's coming from, but to me, it just, like, they're bigger. I know that, obviously, you know, her point of, like, you know, she doesn't have time to waste and, like, four weeks is a lot, but, like, it's four weeks when, like, Dr. Charles said, like, he can help her with things. It's not, like, four weeks in a different way. It's, like... I don't know. I, I like, I understand Cece's point, but I think I agree with Dr. Charles. Like, you know, she still has autonomy over things because she is still, she's not sick at, at that or that sick. Yeah. But like, she's still being reckless. And like, that's not what he signed up for. No, and and, I, you know. I, I mean, I agree with that, but I also think that it, it, it is different. Time is different to Cece because she doesn't know how long she has. You know, and so I, I see both sides of it, but I, you know, ultimately I think Dr. Charles made more sense, but I see where Cece's coming from. Yeah, no, I definitely, I see both sides. I think personally, I just, I follow Dr. Charles a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, Cece ultimately decides against the surgery. You know, she, she kind of realizes that, you know, she, she remarried him. So it's, you know, it's a compromise. They're both in this together now. And so she, she can't just think about herself. Um, and so, you know, it kind of wraps things up and it kind of ties into the other storyline that Dr. Charles is a part of with Dr. Choi that we'll get into. Um, cause you know, I think initially with that patient, Dr. Charles is kind of feeling one way and then he kind of reverses his stance. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's a tough one. And I'm just like, I, I, I really don't want them to focus on CeCe's cancer that much now that she's around and she's sticking around I'm like can can they be happy can we just see them and then like you know maybe not completely focus on it all the time that's not going to be the case it's not going to be the case at all I realize that um I mean I just the season I think especially go ahead no I was just saying the season premiere was nice just because they were being all cutesy together but I I realized that that's not gonna that's not gonna stick around that's not gonna remain because she's Especially because she's not a main character. So, like, if they're going to have her on screen, it's going to be, like, to help further that storyline. And by furthering that storyline, it means she's going to die. I'm, like, already preparing myself for her. (laughs) Yikes. You know what's going to happen. You know know what's going to happen. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) So, April is paired with Dr. Marcel in this episode. And April's less than thrilled to be paired with him. And frankly, I'm kind of with her because so far he has done absolutely nothing for me. I find him so boring. Dr. Marcel? Yeah. I I was intrigued by him this episode. Like, I'm curious to see if he gets reprimanded for what he did. But like... He's definitely not my favorite right now. And not because of what he did, but because, like you said, he's kind of bland. He's boring. Yeah. I think I just expected something different. Like, I I don't know. No, I'm with I you on that. I think, and I, I think it's even as little as, like, the southern accent. I'm like, that's stupid. Stop it. Like, quit. But he's just so, like, cavalier about things. I'm like, you're – 
when you like when a new character comes into this world that is already established, it's like you've got to kind of earn your way in, right? You can't just plop somebody into this universe and be like, okay, like them. No, you need to tell why do why why do I need to like them? What have they shown me that's going to make me like them? Well, and that's why I had a whole issue with it. The way he was introduced was because to me, like just kind of assuming that he was already around and like, even though he didn't totally interact a ton with like everybody, you know, but the fact that he was already a resident at this hospital, like to me, that didn't give me the chance to like get to know him the way that all the other characters are knowing him. I mean, some of them are getting to know him, but like still like some already had some idea of who he was. And to me, that just like, makes it harder as a viewer because like I need to get to know who he is too. Right. And I mean, I think these shows have learned that lesson so many times that you can't introduce a character by making, you can't present them to us in a negative light and then be like, surprise, they're good. It's never worked. It didn't work with Roman. It didn't work with Ava and it's not going to work now. I mean, you know, you got to put them in our good graces and then make them a villain. Right. Like, get me invested first and then get the ball rolling. Right. And I thought that maybe we were going there after the premiere because it was like, oh, he kind of noticed Philip thing. And I was like, okay, like, I'm into that. Like, I'm into him, like, you know, being on our character sides. But now that we're pitting April against him, it's like, oh, no, my brain doesn't work with that. Right. that. Right. And so you know, April's not really thrilled. And Ethan says it, which is, this is exactly how we thought Ethan was going to react. Ethan was like, yeah, he's not really my speed. He just doesn't seem to take things seriously, which like, bingo, that's exactly what we thought he was going to say. Um, and yeah, I mean, he just seems very like, ch- almost too chill, which is like good because, you know, calm in a crisis is always good. But also there were so many times in this episode, I just wanted to shake him by the shoulders and be like, hello. Well, and for someone who's in the ED, like, the ED is so fast-paced. Like, he's almost too chill for that mm-hmm. environment. But apparently he came like from some... the day shift. No, other way around. He came from the night shift. <laughs> like, quite literally the show. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. But, um, no, he apparently came from the night shift because that's what they're talking about. April's like, oh, I didn't realize he was, like, also doing days or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, he was on the night shift exclusively I think oh my gosh yeah so April's just like she's already going into this just expecting the worst and so a woman brings in an unresponsive baby and she basically says that she just delivered the baby in the back seat of the car and she like runs in like no big deal and so April's like how are you still standing this is weird like, what's going on? And the woman refuses to be examined. And so Dr. Marcella's just rolling with it. He's like, okay, you can stay with the baby. It's cool. Like, no big deal. And April's like, all of the red flags are there that something is up. Like, what's going on here? And so she suggests... He's still a resident, right? He what? He's still a resident, right? Because he was doing rotations, and that's why he's now, like, in the ED. Uh, good question. I, I think I missed that detail if it was in there. They might have mentioned it, and I think I just missed it. But I, I think he yeah. is. No, it was in the it was in the premiere. Oh, crap. I got to go back and see then because, the, yeah, the details escape me right now. Well, my point, my point with that being is, like, this is not the way to learn, and this is against everything you probably just learned. 
like you shouldn't just roll with what the patient says. Like you're right. the doctor. Right, right, right. And so at one point, April kind of goes to him and she's like, I want to draw the pla- the patient's blood and like check her levels and, you know, make sure that she did actually have this baby because it seems off, which like I agree. And Dr. Marcel delivers this line that I'm just like, where was this line five seasons ago? She looks or he looks at April and he's like, if you draw anybody's blood without consent, that's considered assault. And I'm like, can you go like have this conversation again in front of Manstead? Like, can you just say that really nice and loud so that everybody in the hospital can hear you? Because how many times have we seen Natalie prick somebody with a needle against their consent? For real, though, I think it just needs to be on, like, a huge motivational poster in the waiting room and, like, all over the ED. Like, you know, those, like, kindergarten motivational posters that you see, whatever that teachers have? Like, I think they just have this in, like, all over the place. Oh, man. Uh, just I, I found that line pretty funny just because I was like, everybody in this hospital needs that kind of training. Like, they need to know. And so April calls DCFS behind Dr. Marcel's back. Which, like, hey, I agree. Dr. Marcel's just, like, chill as the other side of the pillow. It's just, like, I need some sense of urgency out of you, dude. And so she calls DCFS, and then she finds out that Dr. Marcel gave her Ativan to, like, conquer out because she was anxious about the baby. And April's like, what the fuck, dude? And so April yells at him for undermining her, which is bold as fuck, dude, because she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. April got bald. But, like, this is why I wonder about his resonance thing, though, because even though he's a resident, I guess he still has higher power over her. But, like, I would still take April as, like, the person with the most seniority just because she's been around longer. But this is why I wonder, is he still technically a resident? I think he is. I don't think she would do that to somebody like Will or Dr. Choi or, like, she definitely wouldn't do it to Ethan. I don't think she would do it to Will. No, she wouldn't do it to anybody. Except for him. Except for someone she doesn't know. And, like, you know, but she's done something similar to Noah. Or, you know, like, someone of lower, lower, I say in quotes, like, lower status to her. Yeah, and, I mean, I think it, it's, it's she definitely does it because she doesn't have respect for him yet. But right, and she certainly doesn't have to after all of this, so. Right, right, and so. Um, she does look at him at one point and just says, like, just do me a favor and stay out of my way. And I was like, April, April, like, yeah, get it, queen. But there's a total twist here because it turns out that when he dosed her with Ativan, he drew her blood against her consent. Uh, my favorite thing was that, like, the nurse who was telling April this is like, yeah, it was so hot. Like, do you think he's single? And it was just like, April's like, what the fuck? Like, what did you get me into? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, and she's like, don't tell anybody because he could get fired. I'm like, do you even watch the show you're on right now? Because this happens every fucking week. But that's where I got the most intrigued, right? Like, I thought Dr. Marcel was so boring up until this. And then, like, that whole line happened. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's some stakes here. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, okay. Yeah. Like, that's where I was like, I'm, I'm still not, like, sold on him. And, like, but I was, like, at least interested in his story after that. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of, again, I just get TC vibes from him. I'm like, you're literally this character from The Night Shift. They literally just cut, copied, and pasted you into this world. But he's not, though. Because to me, like, I mean, and honestly, we don't know that yet about Dr. Marcel, so maybe he can get there. But, like, TC, from the second we met him, 
you knew that he was, yeah, he didn't play by the rules and yeah, he did a lot of reckless things, but he did it because he cared about his patients. And I don't know. I just don't know Dr. Marcel well enough yet to know that. But like with TC, we knew that right off the bat. True. And it's only been three episodes. Um, yeah. Just right. Don't. And I'm still, like, I don't hate him by any means yet. And like, I'm still willing to give him a chance. And I think especially too, cause like Dominic was so great. Mm-hmm. And so I also like, slightly colored my vision of Dr. Marcel. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, Dominic, like, he's great. He's so nice. But, like, yeah. No, I hear you there. It also makes me a little nervous because I'm like, dude, what? I mean, I don't – if the doctors knock me out, they can do something crazy, like, and get away with it. That's scary. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. Uh. yeah, I also had no idea that taking someone's blood without their consent was technically assault. And like, that's just like kind of crazy to me. Yep. It's totally assault because it's an unwanted touching. Yep. 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 That's wild. I mean, it makes sense once you think about it, but I would have never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's why there was that episode a couple seasons ago when the, there was the girl who came in and she was basically like starving herself or something. Cause she was trying to eat healthy and she didn't want any like, Basically, she didn't want nutrients that, like, were going to come in the IV bag. And so Natalie, like, knocked her out and did it herself. I was like, that's assault. Like, you can't do that. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chicago Med. No rules for you. So then an unconscious woman is brought in who just had a baby, but there was no baby found with her because the baby was quite literally cut out of her. This was fucking nuts. What? I know. This was crazy. And so, I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? April's like, it was that crazy bitch. Like, go get her. Go arrest her. And Dr. Marcel is like, it's cool. Just relax. The cops got it from here. Like, where is your sense of urgency, bro? Like, I'm going to need you to kind of pick it up a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, just a little bit. A little bit, yeah. So we do get an Upton sighting, which like, hey, girl, hey, it's cool. Uh, and so we find out that Nicole, who is the woman who is claiming to be the baby's mother, she basically went over to the woman's house, and this woman is her coworker, like her coworker, chloroformed her, and then took the baby out of her. Who in the writers' room is watching all the Lifetime movies? Jeez. For real. I mean, well, I looked this up. Stephen wrote this episode, Stephen Hootstein. Um, so. Friend of the pod. I guess. They, yeah, friend of the pod, Stephen. Um, but, like, I guess they just really like Lifetime in that writer's room. I don't know. Should we'll we, have to ask next We time. should invite some of them onto our Christmas episode when we talk about all the Lifetime Christmas movies. <laughs> That's funny. We should, we should just be like, listen, we know one of you watches Lifetime. Like, fess up. It's okay. This is a safe space. Right. Well, you know, we don't care which one of you it is. Just we don't care. Just admit that somebody. Would the real Lifetime movie watcher please stand up? Like, come join us. This is a safe place. We won't judge you. We just want to talk. <laughs> but seriously. Um, so... Allison G messaged us about Dr. Marcel and she said, she's like, Marcel seems to be very bland as a character. And she just said, you know, explain to me why they couldn't have kept Connor as the surgeon in the ED. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm just like, he's so boring. Like, why did we replace Connor with him? But also it's been three episodes. It's hardly been long enough to tell. 
Right. Yeah. I think the jury is not out yet on Dr. Marcel. But if it doesn't pick up, it'll be out soon. But like, it's not out yet. It's not out yet. No. And so, and I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't here to record episode two with you guys, like talking about that, but I did like how he turned Noah on to surgery and like kind of doing more with, you know, his medical license than opening a bunch of urgent cares. No, but like, I swear to God, and I never got to go back and look that episode up, but I swear to God that happened in episode or in season three with Connor. Ooh. Like, I swear Connor basically did something similar where Noah was in there with Connor, and Noah then after that surgery was like, oh, you know, maybe I want to be a surgeon. Because didn't we talk, I remember talking to Roman or Roland about that and being like, oh, you know, this just happened. Like, what kind of specialty do you think Noah would want to declare, blah, blah, blah. Like, I swear to God that happened. I remember having that conversation of like, what specialty would he take? I just don't remember it being the surgical route, but. I got to go back and listen to that episode and like figure that out. But I swear that happened in season three, but I could be wrong. I mean, unrelated to this episode, but I don't like that. There, like that Noah wants to kind of go the entrepreneur route. I'm like, you got this medical license. Like you can actually do some good in the world other than make like a shit ton of money running a bunch of urgent cares. But that is not the topic of conversation in this episode, obviously. But whatever. I had had a lot of feelings about episodes two, and I couldn't share them because I was half a world away. But whatever. Oh, and you didn't have the internet to even add to the document. Not that my outline was great for that episode, but still. Well, I I mean, I had had an internet everywhere but the stadium. Or the arena, and even there, it was a hot spot. So I, I, I had it there too. But that, I mean, again, whatever. We'll, we'll do a bonus and episode on Gina's trip to Germany. What? But yeah. So what? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, it was a lot of fun, and Simone Biles set all of the records, and it was very cool to see in person. Okay, that's at the end. Anyway, <laughs> so Manstead, because they had some stuff going on here too. Oh my lordy! Like Will only wants the best for her, right? And like he he har- I feel like he harbors a lot of guilt over the season finale. Wait, what about the season finale? You cut out for a second. Well, I I just feel like with Manstead like Will Will feels guilty about the season finale, right? Like it, it's it doesn't really take a lot to tell that. Like I mean, Will is Will, right? He's a puppy dog. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. And so I think he's harboring a lot of guilt and so all of these things with Natalie like he just wants to fix her. He wants what's best for her. Right. I mean, I think, I think Will's intentions are right. I think he went about it maybe not in the best way, but I also think everything he did was right too. Like he needed to take over her case. I just think with Natalie, you have to like word things differently and maybe approach it differently. But I think he did the right things. Like he, he's doing what's best for her and for the patients and for everybody. He just needed to go about it maybe a different way. I feel like that could be on his tombstone. Like, Will Halstead, his intentions were good. But, you know, sweet puppy dog Will. Whatever. But, yeah, I mean, so Natalie's got a child patient, basically. Will is – Will's worried about Nat. And, I mean, I think he would be either way. You know, however that season finale had shook out, he would be worried about her either way. And so – he basically mentions like a computerized training program that's funded by the Pentagon to help people with TBIs. 
And she's very defensive. Anytime he's like, well, I heard this could help or that could help or how are you doing? She's very defensive. And she's like, well, I'm fine. But I don't know. I, I, I guess I get it. Like she doesn't like being second guessed, but he cares about her. I don't know. I also think she doesn't want to be helped. Like she doesn't think she needs help. I don't, I don't think she wants Will's help because if Goodwin were to come to her or, you know, not Lanik, but like if Goodwin or Maggie were to come to her, she would be like, okay, fine. I need to take this help. No, she wouldn't. I don't think so. Not even Maggie? I think she, I think she thinks she's okay. Hmm. Like, I truly think she thinks she's okay to be at work. She wouldn't have been cleared if she wasn't able to go back, be, you know, go back to work. It's true. That is true. And it's kind of like, you know, when Casey had his TBI and like he was medically cleared and he was like, I'm fine. And everyone else is like, eh, are you sure you're actually okay? Like, I think that's very much Natalie right now. Like she was medically cleared. She's physically fine to be back at work, mm-hmm. but like she thinks she's okay. And so because of that, she thinks she's okay. But like other people notice things that she isn't noticing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it seems like Will is the only one noticing, but I think that's also because there's like chaos happening elsewhere in the hospital. So, you know. Will's the only one to be like, well, no. Just the stories they're telling, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're just, yeah. Right, right, right. So, Natalie has a child patient. She's got a second-degree burn. And so, basically, Natalie means to administer Atomidate, but she instead administers ketamine, which makes her seize and end up in a coma. I haven't looked up the differences between the two meds. I imagine it's, like, a stark difference. But... I don't know. Well, first she's like, oh, they're not that different. There's no real clinical difference. And then she's like, just kidding. There is. So I don't know what the differences are, but there's some differences. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. And so Natalie basically runs the situation through with Will and she's like, or yeah, he realizes he's like, oh, she fucked up the meds. And yeah, she's like, there's no real clinical difference. Natalie, come on, girl. So Will decides to take over the patient's or the patient's care because the parents have pretty much lost confidence in Nat. And Nat is pissed. Yeah, but Will, again, makes the right decision. He just maybe should have worded it differently or approached it differently. I don't know, but he made the right, I mean, that was the right call. I mean, I think, I think with Will, he, I feel like he had already tried to you know, word it nicely. And then at that point was like, no, I, you know, I've just got to give it to you straight because this is what's going on. And, you know, like you were saying, it's like, no matter how okay you think you are, it doesn't seem that way to me. And so Natalie ends up saving the day and Will is like, can you please get away from the patient? Like told you to leave, get out. But Will basically says, Will's like, I'm going to oversee all of your patients from here on out. I mean. Remind me. Will have seniority over Natalie, right? I believe yes? so. No, I think he. Na- I think he now has seniority. Yes, as of like two seasons ago, maybe. Okay, that's what I couldn't remember. So then this makes sense. He's not chief resident, but he's like a senior resident, or maybe he's not even a resident. Maybe he's like a an attending. Yeah, I thought he was an attending by now. Yeah, he's he's probably an attending. Um, but yeah, he does have seniority over Natalie. Yes. Uh, okay then this makes more sense yeah and so yeah now will's just like it's for your own protection and natalie is now trying to blame this on 
basically what happened the night of the season finale. Because she's like, why do I think that you're punishing me for something else? Because Will knows that, you know, she came to tell him something that night. And Natalie just doesn't really believe him. I don't know quite how to phrase that. She, I don't know. Will knows that something is up and Natalie doesn't think anything is up. And so Natalie thinks that he's punishing her for not telling him what he wanted to hear, which is that she's still in love with him. Right? See, I took it as meaning like he, she thinks he's punishing her for being engaged to Philip when he probably knows that she doesn't love him. Yeah. And even in episode two, when he was like, I have to ask, do you love him? She was so defensive, even though she's not sure. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why she's so guarded and she just snaps back at Will at all times. I think because she's not sure what's going on herself. I don't know. But yeah. yeah. So Allison G also said about this one, she was like, Will clearly has ulterior motives, but I don't think he's wrong about her needing some additional supervision to ensure she's okay when treating patients. I don't think Will has an ulterior motive, though. I think Will is just following his gut in this instance. Well, I think it's both. I think he's following his gut about, like, the doctor side, but it also is because he's still in love with her, right, too. Like, and I think that's maybe what Allison means by, like, ulterior motive is, like, it's not solely because he's worried about her as, like, fellow doctor. Right. And, like, that she's going to screw something else is up. It's like he's also worried about her because he loves her. Right. Right, but I mean, he's Which not like is not the right word to use, but like, it's not solely because of like the doctor stuff. Yeah, and I mean, he's—it's not like he's trying to force something out of her that's not true, right? Like she, she was definitely going to Will that night to tell her that she still loved him, and so I mean, he's not trying to like manipulate her into anything. I think he's just following his gut instinct, and so, um, yeah, and so we see Philip a lot in this episode too, and he's just a psycho. He's just hanging around and Will's like, yeah, I don't think you should really be like, this is not a place for kids. And like, duh. Yeah, Philip, what are you doing? And he just shuts the blinds like, oh, yeah, Philip, you told Will. Ooh, burn. <laughs> so bad. I can't. Um, it's also super precious when Will says hi to Owen and then Owen's just like, hi, Will. Like his cute little voice. He's so cute. <sighs> Loved it. Love it so much. Adorable. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we'll see what's going to happen with Manstead. I, I don't know. I am excited for Philip's eventual demise because that's going to be pretty great. Yeah, I mid-season finale, I'm calling it. I remember seeing an email or a tweet or something, and this might have been when you guys covered episode two, but somebody had asked, like, do we think that basically Will's going to, like, deck Philip or like are they going to come to punches they're not going to come to punches just because Will is Will and he's going to be like ah no but I think Will will eventually outsmart him and that'll like Will will basically outsmart him out of the hospital I hope they go to punches though that'd be awesome well I mean it would be nice just to see Will be like you're a dumbass and just punch him just you know for giggles but I don't think Will, Will's not that type I say as I imagine him punching Philip and it being quite satisfying so, I don't know. I don't know. We will see. Don't know. But yeah, Philip's crazy. Um, which is like a bummer, but also like makes sense. I mean, 
Ian Harding is like adorable and he and Tori are like besties and you can totally tell. And so I'm just like, oh, I wish you weren't playing a psycho, but it's okay. It's all good. I understand. So Dr. Choi, he had like the, probably the most interesting case of the night, right? Uh, by interesting, you mean insane. Oh, totally yes. insane. Totally insane. Yeah, this was nuts. So Dr. Choi has a patient with terminal brain cancer. And so while he's talking to Dr. Choi, he's like sipping from this water bottle. And so he's just basically explaining, he's like, so here's the deal. I have terminal brain cancer. I want to be cryogenically frozen. I basically need you to declare me dead. And Dr. Choi is like, the fuck? And so we find out that what's in this cocktail, it's like amphetamines and a bunch of other stuff that's basically going to cause him to go into cardiac arrest within like an hour. And so Dr. Choi is like freaking out. He's like, oh my God, we need to pump your stomach. What is going on? And so he basically wants to be cryogenically frozen so that, you know, in the future medicine can be developed that will save his life and he can be thought out. This is just nuts. I mean, you've looked it up, but, like, my first thought was, like, this has got to be real, right? Like, this is almost too insane to not be real. It, it is a real thing, but it's also, like, a huge gamble. So I Googled, and so I was, like, blown away by what I found. So there's a website called Alcor.org, and I'll tweet out the link just for, like, interest, interesting stuff, like, giggles, whatever. And they had a frequently asked question area. And so, like, this is such a huge gamble because – one of the questions on there, it was like, has any human ever been revived through cryogenically or being frozen cryogenically? I'm not wording that correctly, but whatever. And so here's the exact answer I found from this website. Okay, this is the exact answer. No adult human has ever been revived from temperatures far below freezing. Cryonic patients are cared for in the expectation that future technology, especially molecular nanotechnology, will be available to reverse damage associated with the cryonics process. So you're freezing yourself, hoping that they can fix it in the future to unfreeze you. What? Yeah. Hoping. What? It's nuts. And so I went further through the FAQ, and I mean, the whole thing is just bonkers, right? They said it can cost between like $12,000 to $36,000 to cryogenically freeze somebody. And that basically the cryonics process needs to start within like the first minute or two after the heart stops. It's bananas. Like that was a Google that I was like, whoa, <laughs> learned a lot on that one. But it's a real thing and it's bananas. And I'm just curious as to like what percentage of people opt for this. Well, probably not many. It's probably like the 1% of the 1% of the 1% because like I didn't even realize it was a possibility. Yeah. And so, and I, I like that they covered the base of explaining how he was able to fund it. Cause that was going to be a question I had that I was like, this kid is young. How did he find like thousands and thousands of dollars to fund this? And they did explain that he, it was an inheritance he came into. So that was interesting, but that is crazy. And I'm definitely like, Jeff, if you're out there, how did you come up with this one? Cause like, where did you hear about this? I'm curious. Wow. It was nuts. So Dr. Choi is pissed because everybody's trying to go along with it. They're like, well, you know, he seems pretty with it. He's got the capacity. You know, he's done his homework and everything. And Choi is like, what the hell is happening? Are we treating the same patient? This is ridiculous. 
And so Dr. Charles goes to this patient, his name is Shep, and tries to convince him against it. And Dr. Choi just really wants Dr. Charles to like put the guy on a psych hold. But Dr. Charles is like, no, he's clear headed about this. Like it makes all of the sense. And so his parents show up and they're not ready for him to die. And so basically by the parents saying that his personality has changed, Dr. Charles is basically able to declare him decisionally incapacitated, which means that Choi can ignore the DNR because rules, what are rules? We don't follow rules at Chicago Med. What are those? Like, yeah, literally, we don't do rules. Please. Yeah, I don't even know how to say that word. Like, what? What is a rule? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. HIPAA? What the heck is that? That's just a weird acronym. Yeah, you mean rule right? Do you know rule 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 not rule not rule, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rule. <laughs> yeah. So now it's up to the parents to make a decision. And at this point, Dr. Charles basically talks to the dad and he's like, basically what I've learned here is that, you know, we don't understand what the sick person is going through. So we basically just need to respect their wishes. Which is a complete 180 from the decision he had made earlier. He was like, no, he's incapacitated. It's up to you now. Obviously, that's how the CC storyline ties in. And so the dad just looks at Dr. Charles and he's like, you give us the power to make a decision and then judge us for making it. Which like, again, I see both sides of that one. I mean, it's, you know, Dr. Charles has obviously seen that through his own eyes. And so... Shep ends up dying, and then the team starts to freeze his body. So the parents are eventually like, okay, we understand. We need to just kind of roll with it. This is what he wants. You know, we've just got to go with it. And so that's just, wow. And Shep seems really young, too, to be making that decision. He's 18. Because the whole thing is that, like, people are like, oh, yeah, he's, like, legally able to. So, But, like, he is too young. But he's legally able to, so doesn't matter damn wow wow yeah if you've ever had the curiosity about a med case like I fully recommend googling because you'll be really surprised by the stuff you find you'll just be like whoa that's interesting so yeah that was that was an eye-opener for sure Uh one of definitely one of the more seemingly far-fetched stories we've heard on med but I mean very interesting very, yeah. very interesting. So elsewhere, we've got Maggie. Um, you know, the Maggie storyline is developing. And so Sharon wants to give Maggie a nurse named Paula to shadow her. And Maggie's mad. Maggie's like, people are going to know what's up. I don't like it. Like, what are you doing? And so Paula is totally green. She's brand new. And she just wants to help. And Maggie gives her the runaround, you know, asks her to check drug expiration dates. I think makes her go on a coffee run at one point. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like 12 months away. It's bad. It's pretty bad. And she won't let Paula scrub in to help on the operation that she's going to do. Oh, in the hybrid OR, by the way. So that's still a thing. The hybrid OR is still around, which I would think it would be because it would probably cost just as much to tear it down as it did to build the damn thing. So... I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so Maggie won't let her scrub in. And then Maggie eventually goes to the bathroom because, I mean, she's struggling, clearly struggling. And she just really kind of berates Paula and just like rips her to shreds and ends up just kind of breaking down. And so finally realizes that like she needs to basically start training April to 
take her spot. So I feel like this storyline hasn't even really gotten started. We're still just scratching the surface. But I think we've learned, even though it's just scratching the surface, I think we've learned so much more about Maggie in these last three episodes than I feel like we have in the last like four seasons. Like just seeing, you know, how strong Maggie is and how stubborn she is and how, you know, like she's, not will like you know she's so independent she wants to do things for herself and like she's resisting letting others in and letting others help her and I just I feel like we've learned so much more about her in these three episodes than we have in a really long time yeah and I mean it, it's it's just getting started too I feel like we're gonna learn so much more about her this season that's gonna be I mean mm-hmm. some of it's gonna be great and some of it's gonna be really hard so yeah. I mean we'll see so um, any other notes about Med that we should discuss? No, it was a solid job. It was, solid yeah. It I was really solid. Good job, Steven. <laughs> yeah. Friend of the pod. Yay. But also, are you the one who watches Lifetime? Again, we're not mad. We just want to talk because, like, we like that stuff too. <laughs> yeah. We just oh. Yeah. So, reveal yourself. We just want to talk about Christmas movies. So... Moving on to Chicago Fire. This was a good one and like a lot more comedy than usual, right? I loved it so much. It was good. So yeah. much. Brenda, will you take us through fire? Yes. The, the episode kicks off and like Herman's yelling because he hates everything. He hates change. <laughs> and like, I just, I love that the episode kicked off angry Herman because I feel like that's the sign of a classic com- comedic storyline. Right. Like I just like Herman's angry. Oh, this is going to be good. Like... <laughs> Basically, so basically they're installing this new like smart station thing and basically like trying to automate everything in the firehouse. And, you know, because we have a class, a bunch of old heads, um, you know, nobody wants that. Like, it's just, it's pointless. It's stupid, whatever. Don't change anything if it's not broken. <laughs> um, but so they have all these texts around and Casey's showing one of them around and it's a girl and he starts flirting and it's just like, Cue the eye rolls, like, come on now, Casey. Like, come on now, Casey. This thing just had a recipe and, for disaster, like, right from the get-go. It was just red flags, like, an, immediately. Right. And so, but he, of course, in, ends up inviting her to Molly's. And mm. it's just like, no, Casey, just like, what are you doing? Just, no. Well, I mean, okay. And so, then, of course. But wait, wait, wait. So when you say no, Casey, just no, is it because he's with another girl? Or is it just because it's Casey and he has no game oh, and it's awkward? No, it's because it's not that. It's first of all, like, don't disrupt the sacredness of Molly's with your one night stands. Just don't do it. <laughs> and second, like, really, Casey, like, why are we doing this with like a tech, like someone you like? Why, like, why are we doing it with her? I, I mean, it, I didn't really mind it. I think it was just like a, a one off, like fling for him. And I mean, Severide was like the the running story like she, he was like the running commentary like giving him shit the whole time no but it's not even like so it's not even that it's not Brett like whatever it's not it has nothing to do with that it's just like really like really this is <laughs> and I think more because of what happens in the end like basically like don't stick it where you shouldn't <laughs> and like he did <laughs> and yeah so that's more my issue with it. And it's just like, no. Anyway, 
So basically they end up going back to his place and like she like starts turning off the charm and like on the stalker vibes and like basically admits to Googling him and she's like, Oh, is this from the heist or whatever the, the whatever? I don't remember which one she was referencing. And he's like, what the fuck? And she's like, yeah, I Googled you. And it's just like, well, and I think this is more my issue with it too, is like, Casey, you saw the red flags. Like, don't be an idiot. Like, ask her to leave. And instead, she basically admits to stalking you and, like, Googling you and, like, knowing all this shit about you. And then he makes out with her again. I, I, like, literally forgot half of the shit that she brought up when she was like, what's that scar on your arm? I was like, Casey has a scar on his arm. Oh. And then she was like, yeah, you were an alderman for a while. And I was like, oh, yeah, he was. Like, I forgot about that. She's like, crazy stalker. Yeah. And then he just kept making out with her. I was like, all right, Kelly. What are you doing? Like Kelly of old, goodness. Well, and then he and the next morning to Kelly, he's like, "Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Like I saw the red flags and I ignored them." It's like, "Yeah, no kidding. Like be a little smarter about it. Like be a little smarter about it." He has no game at all, and it's like the cutest thing ever. He's so awkward. But it's not even like I don't know. It that's not my. I don't think it's. I don't think it's cute. Like I. That's not. Or at least in this situation, to me, it was just like he was just such a dumbass. Like, yeah, and I think that's why it's funny is because Casey's usually Casey, right? He's always like put together, but he, he his when he like wants to show his dumbass side, like wow, he can be a real dumbass. Yeah, and so basically, the next time it shift, like they all pull up, and the smart station's been going off for hours, like hours upon hours upon hours. And Bowden's like, yeah, Casey, you have the number of that girl. Like, call her and have her come back over here and look at it. And then, of course, Kelly's, like, giving him shit because he knows what happens or whatever. And then Bowden basically ends up getting so angry with the thing that he, like, throws the whole computer out the window, which was just so great. And basically, like, just as Jessa, who's the girl, like, is coming up the apron and she, like, sees this happen. And she's like, lose my number. Like, that's all she says. And, like away and like Casey's trying to apologize and he's like she's like no I'm not having this the best thing about this though is that you know when he's like oh I should have said no like the red flags were there Severide was like my advice is that these things just resolve themselves and so then when she looked at him and she was like lose my number Severide was like I told you these things have a way of resolving themselves I was like this is amazing give me all of the Casey and Severide bro time and Severide giving him shit that part I loved. Like, I thought that was, I thought that was good. I'm really surprised I haven't found a gif yet of, you know, after, after Severide's, like, I told you these things would resolve themselves. Like, they very playfully, like, punched each other. I was like, where's the gif of that? I need that in my life. That was adorable. Yeah, that was really good. So funny. Yeah. So but funny. yeah, I, I thought overall, I love that comedic storyline. I thought that was really strong. Oh, man, Bowden throwing the thing out the window. That was hilarious because Bowden's like, we're going to handle this like professionals. And then cut to later and he's like, ah, amazing. And then also, too, like, because Marina comes or Burgess like comes in for like a hot second to talk to Brett and Foster. And she's just like, chief, you know, and just like walks away. Like, I didn't see anything. I'm not going to ask questions. Like, okay, chief. I wonder if that was the scene that, because remember the day we went to PD filming and then we found out Marina was at the firehouse. I wonder if that was the day. No, because this was three. They should have been like filming this in August. Hmm. Theoretically. 
Interesting. Also, not everyone was there. And everyone would have been there for this. Oh, true. True, true. So. So funny. But yeah, so that was the comedic. But let's talk about Stellaride because I just, I love them so much. I, yes, I just, please. I love them so much. Yes, please. Like, this was amazing. So basically, Bowden asked Severide to look over a list of names of people to nominate for this leadership conference. And he's like, eh, they're all fine. You know, nobody really stands out. But like, eh, you can't go wrong really with any of these guys either. So then basically Stella comes into Bowden's office and she's like, I'm, you know, requesting some equipment, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think, you know, I want this so that we can like run some drills with Gallo, help him fit in the team better, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And Bowden's like, are these your ideas or was this Casey's? And she's like, no, this was mine. But like, I ran it by Casey. Casey's fine with it, whatever. So then Bowden gets the great idea to ask her about representing the district at the leadership conference. And he's like, you would show great potential. Like, I think this would be amazing. And Stella's like excited, but you can also tell she's like nervous about it too. And so she goes to Severide and starts immediately freaking out about it. And she's just like rambling and Severide, you know, is being great and he's listening to all her concerns. And she's like, maybe he thinks it's because I'm a woman. And Severide's like, yeah, no, no, no. Like, get that out of your head. Like, this is not, you know, that's not how this goes. But I thought Allison G in her email to us, like brought up an interesting point. And she says, you know, Seller's reaction to being picked for the leadership conference seemed out of character to me. Like I can see her claiming, you know, to know every firefighter manual in existence, but like it struck me as strange that she never thought about trying to be a leader in the CFD and had so much doubt about her ability to do so. Like, I'm not sure that is what I would have guessed for a character whose self-confidence is one of her defining characteristics. I think, I mean, I see where you're coming from, Allison, but I think all of us have felt a bit of imposter syndrome at one point or another, right? Uh, you know, even within our squad of like friends from ATX, like I still have times where I sit there and I'm just like, God, everybody's so smart and so cool. I shouldn't like be in this group. I'm not nearly cool enough. So, I mean, I think everybody feels a little bit of self-doubt, you know, at one point or another and people just don't show it. So it doesn't seem that out of character for me. I think where I agree with Allison though, is that like, it is a little strange though, that Stella has never really thought about like the fact that she could move up and like sees herself as capable to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I understand having moments of self doubt, but the fact that she's never even thought about it once, like, I don't know. Maybe some people are just happy and content with that. I don't know. But like to me, I think as someone who is as confident as she is, like, to have never even thought about it seems a little kind of crazy to me. Um, but. Yeah. I mean. Anyway. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, basically, the next shift, she, like, apologizes for, like, snapping at him and, like, coming, you know, coming clean about how she's actually feeling. Um, and Severide's just the dream boyfriend in this scenario, and he, like, hugs her, and he's like you know who I've never doubted not once like you boyfriend just, of the year he says all the right things and it's just the best this whole happy stellaride thing is like the it's just the best it's wonderful and it's actually really like needed so I'm glad that they're rolling with it and they're not trying to fuck them up anytime soon yeah like I, I love it love it love it and like even to get even like 10 times better like basically to help ease Stella's tension about it he like sets up the scuba training in the pool and like first of all two things 
One, well, actually, really just one thing. Where the heck is this pool? Right? It's like a rooftop pool. It's fancy. Well, the rooftop pool isn't what even's like, phasing me because there's a bunch of rooftop pools on apartment buildings here in D.C. But, like, clearly they're not at his apartment because she's like, oh, like, when you texted me the address, like, I kind of wondered what was up or whatever she says. But, like, so where are they? <laughs> Whose apartment are they at? <laughs> Maybe Upton's because Upton's got that sweet-ass place. <laughs> Maybe it's Apparently, Upton's pool. Yeah. Maybe it's not even, like, a communal pool. Maybe it's just Upton's. Uh, lol <laughs> i just looked that was just a moment where she's like yeah when you text me the address i'm like wait a second so where are you guys i got total like, that's clearly not a line yeah yeah like, i got total like bachelor date vibes from this whole thing when she was like this is the date we're going scuba diving i was like oh my god like this is totally straight out of the bachelor and it's adorable and i love it well, and then she's, like, flirting with him, and she's like, ooh, like, this scuba suit, ooh, like, you mm. want to help me come put it on? And he just, like, runs off, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't. I am absolute trash for Stellar Ride this season. It's amazing. It's They're the best, and I just, like, you know, I sat there today, like, when I was rewatching it again, and I was like, it just the development is, like, unreal. Like, it, it's unreal. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it just shows that, you know, it just took finding the right person for Severide to kind of show us yeah. who he really is. I mean, yeah, he can like he he ran around and slept with all of Chicago, but you know, he's all in now. And that like that like the the guy like you know with the romantic dates and like taking her out and be like, we're celebrating you. Like that's Kelly. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But yeah. The Stellarid. Again, just amazing. So let's talk about Brett and Foster. Because Brett is back. Like, thank God. Yay! <laughs> thank God. Yes. And just like your reaction, 51 had the same one. And they threw her a little surprise party. Um, also, just like the Brett and Casey hug moment thing in this moment was just like so awkward yet adorable. Like, I don't care what people say. I love these two. I needed to have them. It was a good hug. It was good. I love them. I I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, so basically, the whole Brett and Foster thing starts, like, they get called to a county detention facility, like, accidentally, quote-unquote, the nurses actually called them, for this, like, teenage boy who was bleed up pretty badly inside, and the guards are hesitant at first to let them in, back to the back, but, like, they finally relent. Basically, they put this kid, Isaac, in the ambo, and he, like, tells Brett, he's like, tell him I'm sorry, like, I won't say anything, like, I promise in my life. And she's like, wait, what? But, of course, it's, like, as soon as she can, like, before she can, like, prod him for more questions, like, the guard gets in in the ambo to, like, travel with him, and, you know, that's kind of it. And so they immediately come back and tell Bowden, like, their gut feelings, and, you know, they're like, something's off here, like, you know, whatever. And... Basically, they've been bringing up the point. They're like, they wouldn't hesitate to report suspected abuse to DCFS if it was a parent-child relationship. Like, you know, something's going on here. And Bowden basically tells him that, like, you know, they have his support. And, like, but, like, be careful because your case has to be airtight if you're going against, like, county police, essentially. And so they decide to go see Isaac's mom to, you know, see what she says and whatever. And she, like, couldn't care less. She's like, yeah, Isaac made him a mistake because Isaac is in jail. The whole reason he's in jail is, like, he had a gun 
oh, okay, cool. But she's like, Isaac made his mistake. He's on his own. Like, sorry. And so they then decide to go confront Isaac's attorney, and he also blows them off. But they do end up meeting, like, a social worker, Brian, who, like, worked with Isaac on some GED test prep and basically tells them that, like, the officer who they met in the county detention and that, like, is, like, the one who's been, like, guarding Isaac, like, has a reputation for, like, not being the best and not being nice and, like, abusing kids and all this stuff. And so Brian's like, yeah, like, you know, I'll help out. Like, I'll try to build a case, you know, I'll say what I can find out, whatever. And so Brett goes to visit Isaac in the hospital and check up on him and see what she can get out of him. And she's like, you know, like he even says, he's like, you can't help me. Like, you know, are you going to be there when they slam the doors and lock me in the Badlands? Like, nobody will be there but me. So, like, I'm not going to say anything. And what Brian tells them as he comes by the firehouse and, like, basically, as it turns out, Isaac was transferred to this new wing, the Badlands that he mentioned. And, like, it was all engineered by Officer Houghton, whatever his name is. Um, and then they basically were like, you know, Brett's like, this is it. Like, we're going to go meet with the superintendent of the jail. And, of course, when they go to their meeting, like, Officer Houghton is there. And Isaac's even brought in and, like, denies it at first. And then he, like, ends up coming clean and is like, no, like, this is actually what happens. Like, you know, he orchestrated all this. Like, he's not great. And then, like, all these other kids come clean, and, you know, it's, like, a whole, like, domino effect. And so, basically, at the end, Burgess stops by and tells them that, like, Isaac's transferred to another facility, and the officer was placed on administrative leave and, like, pending an investigation, so it was all going to work out in the end. But it was kind of... this was a little unrealistic. Not the, like, not what was going on in the facility, but Brett and Foster like really going down the rabbit hole. I felt like that was kind of unrealistic. In what way? In like, in what way? I mean, I feel like paramedics don't usually have the time and resources to really throw themselves into a case like that. Right. Like I, I, mm, they were very thorough in their follow-up, right. It just didn't seem realistic to me. Yes, but two things. One, you could say, I mean, this is TV. Yeah, so like, well, obviously. TV. But then also, too, like, if that's, you know, like, Gabby did this for seven seasons. Mm, true. Right? Like, Brett learned it from Gabby and Foster learned it from Brett. Also true. So, like, it didn't suffer. I mean, like, I see what your point is, but, like, it that's kind of, like, fire's go-to. Mm-hmm. Is like, let's get involved in things we shouldn't be getting involved in, whether it's arson or, you know, abuse or, you know, like all that, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. No, you I know. know. And of course, that's yeah. why we love them is because, you know, they do get involved in these things and, you know. Yeah, like we love it when they go all in intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just. I really liked it because I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, yeah, even though it was maybe, like, a little unrealistic and you would probably not see that happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved it in Chicago, like, and in this world, like, Brett's back. And it's just, like, it was Brett being Brett, like, doing everything that Brett is good at. And I was just, like, I loved it. Yeah. Brett's back in her element. Yeah. Um, and you can just tell, like, she was, even though she was sad for what was happening to Isaac, like, she was happy that she got to help and, like, be there for him. And, you know, like... She was happy again. Mm-hmm. And, like, I really like seeing that. 
gap. So do you think there's anything to read into with her having beers with that Brian guy at the end of the episode? No, I think the whole thing is like he was maybe interested, but like then, you know, she clearly wasn't. So like, but I don't think he's coming back. So I don't think there's anything to read into it. Okay. Just checking. Um, but yeah. But let's talk about Gallo real quick, because I, I love Gallo, like, so much. Yeah, okay, I haven't had the chance to talk about Gallo, because I wasn't around for last week's episode, but I freaking love him. I love him. I love him so much, and I think they're just, they're doing an amazing job with him, and, like, introducing him, and I just, I, I love it. And, like, he's just so respectful. Like, at the end of that episode, episode two, when he was like, I'm going to do my best to honor Otis's memory, I was like, this kid, oh my god, I love him! When even in this episode, like, basically, like, Cruz notices that Gallo's taken Otis's locker and, like, tells him, he's like, you can't take that one. You can literally have anything else in here, but just not that one. And, like, he's super understanding about it. He's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't know, blah, blah, you know. like Yeah. And just the way he says, he's like, I should have asked. I'm like, this kid is amazing. Yeah. Um, So, basically, like, there's not a ton of Gallo stuff in here, but basically, like, 51 gets called to this accident. At a carnival, the girl's stuck at the top. You know, Gallo shows that he's, like, clearly a capable fire- firefighter yet again because he's the one that comes up with the idea to, like, take the normal ladder and, like, add it to the truck ladder because it's the fastest way to save the girl, you know. All- and basically, like, they get back to the firehouse and everyone's like, okay, so, like, why did you really join the CFD? Like, you clearly have a knack for this, but, like, what made you? And basically, he tells a story about how he was in house fire as a kid and, like, started, you know, he was amazed by the firefighter that saved his life. And, like, because of that, he, like, started hanging around at the firehouse, you know, every day after that. But as we find out at the end, like, that's not the whole story. Like, yeah, the fire, the house fire really happened. But, like, he lost his whole family in that fire. Like, Gallo's the only survivor, which is, like, wild. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And, like, it also... I think, though, I mean, it was obviously the moment that Bowden needed to be like, okay, like, this kid isn't just, like, a hot shot and, like, didn't just join because he knows he can be good at it, whatever. Like, it means something to him to be a firefighter. And, like, Bowden's like, okay, I'm yeah. sold. Like, it's in his you know. blood, for sure. Yeah. 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 I love this kid. And I feel like Casey came into his life at just the right time because, like, he's a ball of energy. But now Casey... And Sev and Bowden can kind of mold him into, like, the, the ideal Firehouse 51 candidate. Yeah. I I, I love him. Like, there's I, – I just love him. Yeah. I do. So good. So good. And I'm really excited. Like, I think, to hearing, like, Derek mention it, and I think it was mentioned somewhere else. I don't – oh, Joe also mentioned it in, like, the interviews from One Chicago Day about this, like, bond that – like Gallo and Fritter are going to have and just kind of that like new candidate class vibe that's going to happen. Like I'm so excited for that. Yeah, that's that's going to be good. I just can't believe we're at that point now where like there's going to be like a, a, a like the underclassmen coming up. I'm just like, man, that makes me feel old, but also it's so perfect. Like I'm so excited for that. Like honestly, that's like way what, what like that's the thing I'm most excited about probably on all shows. Like mm-hmm. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, so good. Hmm. Any other but notes yeah, about fire? Fi- no, that's, yeah. Just, a, a, again, like a solid episode. It was a pretty solid week in one Chicago land, which is like, 
good. Nothing. I feel like nothing too crazy happened, which is also good because we've got the ridiculous crossover happening soon that I'm kind of scared for. But, but also too, I think it's like good, and I didn't feel like there's any kind of crazy cliffhangers because, like, I know this crossover is a little bit more isolated. I think they said like some of the fire stuff may carry over and whatever, but like it's pretty much more of like an isolated story. But so I don't feel like. I'm going to feel weird that it's like an isolated story and like nothing's going to really carry over. Like, I don't feel weird about it. Like, I'm like, okay, we're good. Have you seen the profile pictures that they've been uploading on the shows like progressively? Like with the, it's like, it's so cool. It's cool. It's creepy as hell, but it's very cool. It's like the, basically like the infection is like slowly, but surely taking hold. Creepy. It's so cool. Nightmare fuel for the next, like however many weeks I'm sure. Yeah, I loved it, though. Mm-hmm. It's going to be nuts. So, yeah, PD time? Let's talk about PD. Alrighty. So, our girl Rojas is in intelligence. Like, boom, that's it. It happened in, like, the blink of an eye. Which, like, okay, I get it. Because, obviously, they made it pretty clear that, you know, the whole point of her being in intelligence now is to replace Antonio. But also, like... Could we have a little bit more explanation about that? Could we have made that a little bit more clear? That would have been nice. I just wanted the scene where, like, like where, like, who made the decision that like she was going to join, and like what, like I, like I just needed them to like see the scene where they like decide that she's going to come up, or like where they have that conversation with her. Like I don't know, like I needed to see that. Yeah, personally, I, I feel like Voight wouldn't have offered her the spot. If he didn't know that she was going to be the perfect fit. Like the whole thing about having Upton like evaluate her and be like, yeah, we need to see how she is part, like, you know, as part of this team. Okay, well, if you weren't sure about that, why did you ask her to join intelligence? Or is this like a gallow situation where you just saw a shit ton of potential and then just wanted to kind of refine it from there? I don't know. It worked like because Floyd doesn't do tryouts, but this felt like it was like a tryout. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm not complaining because, again, I I love Rojas. And, again, I didn't get to talk about episode two, but I freaking love her already. So, I mean, yeah. I feel like you did, though, even though I know you didn't, just because, like, we watched it so long ago. I know. And we watched it together, so we spent time gushing about it. Right. But, like, you and I talked about PD episode two, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you talked about it. But, like, you didn't talk about it on the pod, but we talked about it together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We watched it together. We did watch it together, yeah. Um, yeah, so she's already ruffling feathers. We'll get to that in a second. But I think more importantly here is, um, did Platt just address Kevin as detective? She did. I watched the episode with subtitles. She did. Um, when did that happen? That's amazing. You go, Kevin. We freaking love you, you little badass. And congrats. Like, where was where oh. was this knowledge? So do you think what's funny is that because I asked patty and marina about it in my interview and they're like oh yeah it's just the three of us that are still officers like me you and kev and like so i don't know if this was like a misspeak or if like they just forgot that this like you know like i don't know i hope this isn't like the ever long the ever going debate about who's older jay or will where they're just like i think will is older i'm pretty sure we said it once but like they haven't touched it again I'm really hoping that's not something where we're just going to be like wondering in limbo whether Kevin's a detective or not. Yeah. But like, so I just thought it was funny because Marina and Patty were like, yeah, we're all three still 
officers. And then like two days later, this airs. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Maybe they were saying that because the episode hadn't aired yet. I'm going to cross my fingers on that one. No, go back and watch it. I think they really didn't know. Man. But they do make it pretty clear from the get-go, it's Officer Rojas. She's an officer. So they make that pretty clear. Well, yes. She's very much a Ruzik. Like she has, she's plucked straight out of the academy. Like she doesn't. I don't think she even graduated yet. No, no, I, I thought she did. Um, I because she was in another unit. She got plucked out though. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Either way, I still love her. Um, she and Kevin go have coffee, and I'm like totally here for a real water coffee date, even though it's been all of like one episode. I'm here for it. I'm ready. Like, give it all to me. This is amazing. Um, and I love Atwater kind of like giving her the lowdown and the way he explained it. Cause she's like, don't we work for Voight? And he's like, yeah, but it's Platt's house. Like she controls the weather. It's just, right. I'm like, oh, that's a good way to put it. I never thought about that. Like good deal. So, um, they go get coffee and then they of course happen upon a carjacking cause these characters can never just like live their lives. Something always has to happen. Um, but yeah, it turns into a hot pursuit and then it leads to a guy getting impaled on the fence. Like just a normal day. Normal day in Chicago PD land. Um, basically, Atwater was like, okay, you know, call an Ambo, go radio for backup, and then, like, you know, carry on. Well, Rojas only calls for the Ambo. She doesn't call for backup. And so, you know, it just kind of leads to a mess. And so she tells Hank, she's like, it was just instinct. And so he looks at her and he's like, well, your instinct just caught us a carjacking, an officer-involved death, and a mountain of paperwork. It's not a good look for your first day. Like... Again, I mean, I've said it a million times. I could never work for Voight because I would probably just go hide in a corner and cry. Like, he terrifies me. I just couldn't do it. Um, yeah, and so she's just off to a great start. Just getting a guy impaled, the normal. Um, and then, yeah, when they, they're like, what's your call sign? And she's like, I haven't been assigned one yet. I'm new. Like, ooh, yikes. Well, and then cue to Burgess erasing Antonio's call sign. Oh, yeah. So... They kind of wrap up the Antonio thing in like a sentence, which uh, it's it's tough, right? Because so he moved to Puerto Rico to be with Gabby, which is like perfect because that's exactly what he needs, right? Like go be with your sister, go like help these hurricane victims make a difference in the world, you know, get yourself together. And I, I don't know. I'm okay with him going to Puerto Rico. I think that's a perfectly fitting end. It's just kind of, I felt wrong that they wrapped it up in a sentence, but you know, what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Cause like I want so much, I mean, I think it's a good solution, but like I want more for him cause it's Antonio and you know, he's the center of this franchise and I just, Yeah. But they yeah. also, like, couldn't camp out on it for a, a while. You know, they couldn't just sit there and, like, camp out on it and have a whole episode, like, grieving Antonio moving. Which I get. But also, like, I don't know. Antonio deserved better. Hashtag justice for Antonio. Yep. Yep. Ironic, because, you know, justice. LOL. <laughs> so, um, we saw a tweet from a fan named Courtney, and she brought up a really good point here. So her point, she just said, she's like, wait, so Antonio went to Puerto Rico to be with family. Doesn't he know that his kids live in Chicago? Good point. Very good point. I wonder if, you know, 
at this point, maybe he feels like he's just done too much damage and just that, you know, being away from the kids is probably what's best for them. Okay, but at first of all, too, so, like, two things. Like, one, I mean, Ava's, like, 18 at this point. She's off to college. Like, right. she doesn't need him. You know, again, still, not that you should still leave because of that, but, like, still, like, Ava's in college. Like, Diego's, like, 16. Like, it's not like they're, like, five, right? Like, there's a difference. Right. And then, two, like, sometimes you have, like, Chicago is clearly a toxic, toxic environment for Antonio. Like, Sometimes you have to remove yourself from that in order to get better and so that you can come back Mm -hmm. if you do choose to come back one day. But, like, you have to remove yourself from that. And sometimes it means leaving your loved ones behind. But, like, they probably understand, right? Like, he has to do this to better himself. And so, like, yeah, it sucks that he's going to be away. But, like, it's okay because he's going to be better when he comes back. I also imagine that Laura probably did not want Antonio around the kids. Yeah, that too. So I think, I, I I bet Laura had something to do with that too, where Laura was like, you can't see them until you get yourself together. And so maybe that's probably, maybe that's why he went to Puerto Rico. Right, right. I think it's all things, but yeah, I think it's for the best. Yeah, and I mean, given the way they took him with the drug problem, going to Puerto Rico is probably like the best option we could have had. Yeah. No, definitely is. It's just, and Allison G kind of said it best, you know, it's like, it's just sad, you know, who's like, because he's been such an integral part of this franchise since the beginning, blah, 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 you know, all the things that we've said, like in 10 million episodes, but like, it's just sad. Yeah, you know, it's totally sad, but I'm, I'm just going to imagine, you know, my happy little headcanon of Antonio and Gabby working together and, you know, they're happy to be with each other again and, you know. Has anybody written a fanfic yet about them in Puerto Rico, like being happy and making a difference? Because I need that in my life. I don't know. I haven't checked, but I know what I'm doing later. (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bummer, you know, but I don't know. There's nothing that we can say that will, like, soften that blow or make it better. It's just sucky situation. The whole thing with all the characters, the character exits from last season, it just sucks. But it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yes, hashtag justice for Antonio. Yeah. So as if that's not enough of a blow, immediately after that, Voight goes and splits up Upstead. The fuck, dude? It's not cool, but it also makes, like, perfect sense. So Upton and Rojas are going to be partnered together now, and Jay is partnered with Kim. So it sucks, yes, but also the explanation is, like, perfect. So he just basically tells Haley, he's like, listen, I need somebody to evaluate Rojas, and I know you will give it give it to me straight. Like, you won't sugarcoat, you won't bullshit me, you'll just give it to me. And so I'm glad he had, like, a legit reason for it. And to me, it's actually totally understandable, because we've always wanted more interaction between Jay and Kim, right? And again, not romantically. We've, I, I mean, for me, I've always just wanted them to kind of develop a friendship. Um. And that, and plus, we know that there are plans in place now for Upstead to be, quote unquote, explored. And so doing this and having Jay partnered with Kim and Upton partnered with Rojas, it means that, you know, we basically won't have, it, it won't just be like Void and three couples in intelligence. You know, it kind of changes the dynamic a bit. So I'm okay with it. 
I think Haley's point is valid though, that like it takes a lot of time and trust to build a partnership that works. And like, you know, that's kind of why Rosewater has been so great is because they've actually like had that partnership be a thing for two or three seasons now. And like, same with Upstead. It's like why that partnership is so great is because like, it's been solely just a partnership up until this point. Mm -hmm. And like, do you also want to destroy that? Like, I agree that I think, like, I understand your points too. And like, I don't really know still where I fall on this, but like, I think Haley's point is valid that like, you know, like, why do you out just, you know, and go destroy something that actually works? You know, should that be destroyed forever? I don't know. I mean, it also begs the question though, if they would develop into a relationship, if they weren't split up as partners, you know, this might be giving us like, this might be giving way to Upstead, whereas keeping them as partners wouldn't have. Right. And I think maybe this is now like kind of to the time there was like a question in our like Twitter thing too. Like someone said, it was like, are you guys really worried about the possibility of too many ships forming if they really do try to do like Atwater Rojas, like Berzik and then Upstead? Like, I don't know. I wasn't it's a good really, question. Like, yeah, I was never concerned about too many ships, but I was concerned about that and being like, that's not going to be a good look if it's Rojas, Outwater, Burzik, and Upstead. Like, they're all partners and they're all dating. That's some Grey's Anatomy shit right there. Yeah. But then the thing is, too, is like, it's also different. And I think the only reason I'd be slightly worried about it is because that means you only have seven characters. So when six of them are in relationships with each other, it's a little different, right? Like, on fire, yeah, there's a couple different ships, but, like, it's not the entire house. Right. And, like, same with Med. It's not the entire hospital. Like, Maggie doesn't have a ship. Goodwin doesn't have a ship. You know, like, there are people who don't have ships. Yeah, it's, it's going like, to be interesting to see what happens when, like, one couple is on, like, what's going on with the other. So, like, I mean, we know we're getting Berzik this season in some capacity. So, like, what what are Upstead going to be doing while that's going on, you know? And then... We know that we're getting an Atwater ship because that's been, like, said. Yeah. That, like, water's going to be in a romance and, like, it's clearly going to be Rojas. And then it's, like, they've also said that Upstead, or, like, Upstead is something is happening there. Not maybe, you know, they're exploring mm-hmm. that as their term. But, like, so they've literally said that something is happening with every single couple on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they say the Upstead thing would pay off in the mid-season finale? I think it's going to take them longer than that. Shit. I got to start mentally preparing. I, like, did you, I mean, you watched my interview with them, right? They're yeah. like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think something's going to happen this season. But they're like, they seem to make it think um Tracy and Jesse make it seem like it's gonna be like season 10 before something happens <laughs> and like like I know that it's not that but still yeah I, I think it might be mid-season at the earliest I, or, I mean yeah, at the earliest either way I'm ready for all three couples I'm like give them to me I'm ready for all three and I'm ready to like feel the Berzik feels again because I freaking miss them although Based on the hype and what we've, like, speculated, I don't know how I feel about that. We'll have to discuss that at another time. But I'm like, yes, give me all three couples. I'm ready. I am so ready. My body is ready. Yeah. But it's just an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought Jamie's point, too, she, like, made an interesting point. She was, like, going back to, like, the splitting up, I guess, of Upstead. She's like, 
Almond Ruzik, and it's cool that we get to see Upton do the same with a rookie since the female experience has to differ in this male-dominated field. And she's like, plus, Haley hated how McGrady jammed her up. So, like, I like that she would take someone under her ring rather than shoot her down under her wing. I like that Jeannie drew that parallel. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, neither, but it's a good point. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a true point, too, about the female experience obviously being different than the male one, and it's just, I think it works. Yeah. Big time. Big time. So, the victim of the carjacking, her name's Ruby. Rojas and Upton go talk to her at med. This episode did a really great job of, you know, weaving a pretty interesting case, but also making it really entertaining. It wasn't one of those episodes where we got bogged down in the facts. Like, it was it was a good balance. So, I like this. Uh, I think it moved well, but it was so predictable. You think it was predictable? Oh, as soon as I, we met the boss, I was like, oh, it's her. Like, oh. literally, as soon as we met her, I knew exactly what happened. I didn't catch that, but also I was watching in Germany via a VPN, and so my brain was focused elsewhere. Um, no, yeah, or personally, at least, I thought it was, like, the most predictable case they've had in a really long time. I was like, oh, that's her. Boss okay. was a piece okay. of work. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so Ruby was on her way to work when everything went down. And so Ruzewater basically pulls images from the nearest L station. They run facial rec on the partner of like, because there were basically two guys who attempted to carjack Ruby. And so it's Felix Rodriguez. He comes in, you know, talks, gives up everything. So Miguel, the other guy, he was basically going to give him $500 for stealing Ruby's car and parking it in Pilsen. Um, but it turns out that the car was burned by the time that Ruzik and Atwater got there. Um, but Kev finds a drug trap in it because, you know, our brand new detective is just like super sleuth and everything. And I don't know. That was crazy. The, the car was like still smoking too, wasn't it? Now, if I remember correctly, because mm-hmm. there, there was a there was a, a cop who's like, t- she's like typing on a laptop or something like on a car when Ruzik and Atwater get there. That is the same cop we saw at filming that Luch was talking with um, about the gun and how to hold it. It's the same person. Really? Yeah. Same girl. Yep. Hmm. So she's going to pop back up. I'd have to go back and that a lot clearer, but. Hmm. Yeah. Because when we saw filming that day with Upstead um, or, you know, Jesse and Tracy, Luch was basically doing his tech advisor thing and it was actually really cool. He was like working with her and like how to hold the gun and how to like move properly. And I was like, oh, teach me, teach me. This is so cool. Like, yeah, I'm a big giant nerd. Um, but yeah, so Jay and Kim get sent over to Ruby's to snatch her up, but it turns out that she's dead. Bummer. Um, all they know is that it was a clean, quiet kill by a guy in a hoodie because the neighbor was like, I wasn't moving, but this is what I saw. So the Bridgewaters. Love when they're together. They go talk to Ruby's boss, but there's apparently no employment history for her. So the boss, her name is Alexa, and she is a piece of work. Let me tell you. So Alexa basically let Ruby work there for just straight up tips. So that way she could keep collecting benefits from the state. And so intelligence finds their way to a bar and the bar is owned by a Jose Soto and Ruby used to frequent it. And so they think that it was Soto who supplied the heroin. So... Ruby was a mule for the buyer, not for Soto. So he admits to carjacking the car, but not killing her. This is pretty like, it gets kind of crazy. And so they traced the number for the phone that the dealer was using, and it was a burner. But they were able to track where it was purchased. 
So Jay and Kim, I guess they're what, Birdstead now? Is that their name? Sure. Okay, sure. cool. Yeah, so the Birdsteads. Um, they go to where it was purchased and they check the surveillance and it turns out that Alexa bought a phone from that very place. Now, somewhere in this bit of details is where I lose the case and I'm like, somebody bought a phone, somebody came in here, like, I'm done. I can't track the details. I can't keep track anymore. People are doing things and it's crazy. So yeah, Alexa bought a phone from there. So Ruzik and Rojas go undercover, which I love here because it's kind of like the two who are the best at undercover. Like they're kind of developing now. They're almost developing the unit into like, you can tell where everybody's strengths are, right? And so Ruzik and Rojas, like they're the two best undercover officers in the unit, right? So it was pretty cool to see them together because Ruzik's always been pretty smooth with it. Um, and so they basically... Yeah. I, go ahead. But everyone's pretty... I, but, but everyone in the unit's pretty good with undercover. Yeah, no, they all are. But I mean, Ruzik is just like next level. He can think on his feet and just like, he's good. It's true. It's, it's he's, true. he's really good. Yeah. And so um, they go undercover together because they want to set up a trap so that they can bring Alexa in. And so, you know, Rojas likes to go rogue. She likes to go off book quite a bit, which is a little off putting at first because I'm like, dude, stop it. Like you got in trouble the first time. Don't do it again. Like, stop. We know how Voight rolls. Um, but this time she's pretty dead on because she basically thinks on her feet and she's like, okay, she's like, Adam, you know, grab me, make it look like we're fighting, like make it look like we're arguing. And it kind of softens Alexa up and like gets her to open up and talk. And so, you know, she's flying by instinct and she's going rogue, but in this case it works. So I think she just kind of needs to learn how to like fine tune her energy and like channel it in the right place. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know. Yeah. And so Rojas goes back by herself with like a fake black eye and she tries to sell the whole like my boyfriend beat me card and Alexa totally buys it. She just eats that shit up. And so she tries to sell Alexa the dope directly so she can get running money, quote unquote. And so Rojas is supposed to meet Alexa, but instead of Alexa, it's Ruby's roommate, Carla. And she just basically says that Alexa changed her mind on the deal. Again, this is crazy. So, Bryna, would you like to take it from here? Yeah. So, basically, Intelligence ends up snatching up Carla, and they basically are like, you can work with us, or you can not work with us, but, like, it's better for you to work with us and, like, bring Alexa down. So, they end up putting a wire on her and a camera and all this stuff, and Carla goes to confront Alexa, and Alexa, you know, she's, like, kind of figures it out. She's smart. Um, and so she ends up pulling a knife on Carla. And that's kind of where it goes crazy because then, you know, intelligence bursts in and they, like, calm Alexa down or so they think. And then Carla turns on Alexa and pulls the knife on Alexa and, like, slashes her in the throat. And bye-bye, Alexa. No more Alexa. It's crazy. That was a wild scene. Did that you think was, that was predictable? Was... Did you think Carla was going to do that? Oh, no. Not that part. I What I thought was predictable was that Alexa was, like, behind it. Okay. That was the predictable part, not this part. Mm -hmm. I didn't think Alexa was going to die. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And so basically they, you know, that's it. And then, you know, because Alexa's dead. So, like, Carla's now in custody. But, like, Alexa's dead. So, cool. <laughs> like, okay. And then it basically ends, like, you know, Voight asks Upton for her assessment of Rojas. 
And Upton's like, you know, she went off book twice, like her instincts were right, but the one day they won't be, or one day they won't be, like you live by your instincts and eventually you die by your instincts. And so like for a second, it seems like it's going to be a no, but then we see Upton go talk to Rojas in the locker room and like, she's an intelligence. Yay. It's like, we figured that, but cool. You couldn't have led with that? Yeah. And then also Upton's like, but you'd like knit and fill out your address. And Rojas is like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. And like we find out that like basically Rojas was living in her undercover department. And now that she's like not undercover anymore, they took that away. Like she hasn't had time to go look for a new place. So she's homeless, essentially. And Upton's like, well, you can stay with me. So I guess now they're roommates. Like that felt a little forced. No. Yeah. That was a lie. I don't know how this is going to go. I feel like PD hasn't quite mastered the art of like female friendship. Cause again, I I stand by this that I feel like Burgess and Lindsay were totally forced. Like it was just not, I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. It just, it it felt totally forced. And so Burgess and Upton, they've tried to, they kind of, they haven't poured it on as thick, which is good. Um, but, you know, we've seen kind of little bits of a friendship, you know, developing with them. But Upton and Rojas, like, don't force it down our throats. It's got to happen organically, you know? Like, that that seems kind of forced. That, like, she's a, she's brand new in this unit. And Upton's like, yeah, sure, please come stay with me. Like, what if she's a psycho? Right. And, like, I feel like if they're going to drop that on us, then I at least need to see the scenes of them, like, at their apartment or mm-hmm. house or whatever it is, wherever Upton lives. Like, I need to see it. Because otherwise, then what's the point of telling me this? Right. And then what's going to happen when they explore Upstead? Like, are they going to have to, like, live by the scrunchie system? Like, how's that going to work? Or Atwater. I mean, Rowater, whatever we're called. Yes. Yeah, Rowater. Yes. It's going to get awkward in that I apartment. Go to their place. Like, they just would go to Jay's place or Atwater's place. Shit's going to get awkward. <laughs> That's what happens when one and intelligence hooks up with each other. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but also I'm not complaining. Again, give me all of the couples. I am ready. Um, yeah, it feels just a little forced. I feel like the only female friendship that PD has mastered is Platt and Burgess. But again, I feel like that happened organically. Because it did. Because it did. Yeah. So, I don't know. But this was a solid episode. Again, it was a solid week in Chicago. I'm just, I'm really excited for, like, crossover and, like, what's going to happen after crossover. And I think this did, like, a good setup, too. And I'm just, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm equal parts scared and excited, as I am for most crossovers. I feel like that's my mood for everyone. Chicago Wednesday, I'm always like, I'm scared and excited. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. PD posted something the other day, and it was, like, it was, like, it was Upton and Atwater and, like, Upton looked totally cool, and then Atwater looked like he was, like, worried about something. And they were like, yeah, we're all, you know, Upton, or Upton on the outside, Atwater on the inside. I was like, big time. Big time. So um, I felt that on a spiritual level. So, yeah. Any other notes about PD? No, I think that's it. So, as always, listeners, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Meet us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything. It's meetusatmollies at gmail.com. If you love the show, which we really hope you do, because if you love the show, you've made it to the end of this episode. Or if you have made it to the end of this episode, I think it's safe to assume that you love the show. I'm still jet lagged, y'all. Just work with me. Um, Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate that. Follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? 
I am at Brenna K13. So here's the deal. We're going to go get some rest and then you're going to hear from us like in probably like not 24 hours, but you're going to hear from us again pretty soon because we got the crossover episode dropping pretty soon. So everybody go rest up, relax, maybe watch some reruns or something and we will see you in a couple of days. Bye.